Well, hey everybody, uh, we've been studying John together and this little section we're calling uh, Fly on the Wall because as I thought about it, I realized that if I could be a fly on the wall at any place, at any time, at any point in all of human history, the upper room where the Lord's Supper happened, where, where Jesus gave like the series of final teachings, his last words of wisdom, then that, that would be it because this is literally the most important meal ever. So I'd love to be a fly on the wall. Um, also on that same night, uh, it was another one of those huge moments um, where Jesus predicts his betrayal. Um, we're gonna look at that now. Uh, John chapter 13, we'll begin in verse 21. Now, Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. Um, in Matthew's account of the same story, we get one extra detail added. This is uh, Matthew 26, verse 22 says this, greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one Lord? Now, lean in, this is actually really important. Think about this they all wrestled with the possibility that it could be them. I mean, they stopped, they paused, they look around. It's, it's not me, right? Like, I don't, I, I don't want it to be me. I don't think that it's me, but Jesus, could it be me? Is it me? Um, I, I'm, I'm wanting us to stop here because I think this is a time in our history that some of our let's say our national sins are being exposed on several levels. And I think we really need the courage and the humility to look at those ugly things that none of us like, but are still there, and then ask Jesus, could it, could it possibly be me? Could I have any part in this? Um, and as I thought about this, guys, I ended up with a list, and this is certainly not a complete list, um, but to my mind, there are four things that have kind of been bubbling up and that we might need to consider on a personal level and not just say that's a societal problem. Uh, the first um, is polarization. Um, polarization is becoming so extreme that like kind, loving people are finding the capacity to hate. And they're making, they're making enemies of people who don't agree with them politically. And, and this, of course, I mean, it's, it's been a long last 12 months, I know. This has been highlighted by another really brutal election year. We couldn't miss it. And, and even the events of the last week or so have, have underscored this all the more. Um, extreme polarization um, is a huge problem. Um, also, uh, a second thing, racism clearly is not gone. Um, it is alive and it is well in our country, in our town. And again, this of course has been highlighted very clearly by some pretty horrible events in our country over the course of the last year. Um, a third one that frankly I just couldn't get away from is uh, the objectification of women. And in our society, it's, it's rampant. Just the extreme over-sexualization. It is unrestrained, it is unapologetic. And then of course, for some time now, the Me Too movement has highlighted this and the, just the explosive growth in the use of pornography have made this clearer than ever. 
And then a fourth thing that I couldn't get away from, um, and I think this is really beyond this, any sort of debate, uh, we've clearly made a God out of money in this country. Um, um, as much or maybe more than we ever have. And choosing it over people and and again, a whole slew of corporate exposures and, and, and national trends have made that, I, I think, kind of beyond debate. And so there are these four things that, for me, at this point, stand out. And what I'm saying is there are, there are some pretty hideous national sins that are on our ledger. And here's the thing, don't miss this, probably every single one of us are completely appalled by all of it. And yet, this is so important, every single one of us still absolutely must look to Jesus the way the disciples did that night and say, Lord, could this, could this possibly be me on any level or, or to any degree? Am, like, am I, is it, am I choosing money over people? Could that be happening? Am I objectifying women on any level? Am I beginning to hate the people that I disagree with? Could there be possibly like racist inclinations in my own heart. And again, picture it around that table in that upper room when it came out that one of the 12 was going to betray the Messiah, which, I mean, think about it. If you're hearing this for the first time and you're around that table, this is an absolutely unthinkable sin. And yet the disciples, every one of them had the courage to say, Lord, I, is it me? I just, I don't, I don't want it to be me. I don't think it's me but I know I have the capacity for any, I mean, could it be me? And I think we desperately need that same kind of courage. Now with that in mind, hold on to that. Let's go back to the text now, verse 23. Um, the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So that disciple, and that's John, by the way, uh, he leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Very clear. 27. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told them, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go pay for the food or give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. Um, I'm wondering if you've ever noticed uh, that in all the children's Bibles, Judas is always like snarling and he's this like, really obvious evil-eyed villain, this sort of shady character. And it's just not true. Um, the fact is, Judas looked and acted just like all the others. Um, when Jesus said that somebody was going to betray him, they didn't all just look at Judas. And when Jesus, when Jesus plainly said that it was Judas who was gonna do it, they didn't even get it, they didn't understand. And he goes running off into the shadows and he's possessed by Satan himself. And the disciples still just assume that he went to go give money to the poor. Here's what I'm saying, Judas might literally be the most infamous man in all of human history and his best friends thought he was great. And like when they, paired off to do ministry trips together, they, it's, it's not like they were casting lots to see who got stuck with Judas. And when, and when they came back, they all reported the great things that happened, including Judas. They didn't see it in him. And the thing is, he didn't see it in himself. And here's what we need to see. There, there is an incremental nature to sin. 
it, it grows. And, you know, Judas, he had been nursing this idea in his heart for a while. Um, the, the, the text says that Satan had, this is verse 2, had early, earlier put this idea into Judas's heart. And the, the real trouble is, not that that idea was placed there, but that he let it stay. He let it grow. I mean, I don't know. Who knows the narrative that he sort of built in his own mind in order to excuse the thing that he did, but it doesn't matter. The point is, he gave residence to, he harbored an evil idea. And no doubt, at, at the beginning, at first, like it seemed probably just ludicrous and far-fetched, like this just really ugly thought, but then he let it stay. And then maybe some like intrigue started to grow and some justifications were built and... And like eventually the unthinkable seemed, I don't know, like plausible and then maybe even attractive and then like a, like a fantasy forms. And then this story, which started with Satan putting an idea in his heart, ended with Satan himself entering into his heart. I'm saying it is a seed that grew and finally bloomed. Now, I, I, I mentioned those, those four national sins that are like rampant in our country, extreme polarization, racism, objectification of women, and greed. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that those are all ideas that are harbored. And if those ideas are left unchecked, they will grow. You, you may be an astonishingly wonderful person but you still have a sinful nature, which means your heart is fertile ground for even the most insidious ideas and thoughts and feelings to grow. It's true of all of us. So, I mean, for example, the, I mean, think about the Me Too movement, which ex, it exposed these people that we thought were American treasures, and then they turned out to be these like, sexual deviants who were, again, with the growing, like they were harboring lust and then pornography, and then manipulation, and then unchecked fantasy, and then just just deep selfishness, and then even assault. And then here's what I'm saying, like the unthinkable becomes fantasy, becomes plausible, becomes reality, and it happens all the time. It happens all the time. You know, a misguided joke becomes a stereotype, becomes a truth in our mind, and then that plants the seed for what might one day become full-blown racism. That's how these things work. And I'll tell you now, I, I think the scariest thing I'm seeing in our country right now is Christians, listen, on both sides of the political aisle, Christians who would say that we're supposed to love our enemies, Christians who would quote Paul and say, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the forces of evil. Those same Christians on both sides just spewing relentless slander and hatred against the people they disagree with politically. Now come on, how in the world do tender, gentle, loving, sincere Christians end up hating half of their own country and just so far from God's heart? Like how does that happen? And I'm telling you, it is by harboring an idea, letting it grow watering it in an echo chamber until it's fully formed and then suddenly our brother is our enemy. Happens all the time. I wanna read you Matthew 26, verse 22 again. Greatly distressed, 
Each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? You think about this. Um, hating something does not mean that we're exempt from it. So, um, I honestly hate the objectification of women. I hate it. I, but I also know full well that I have lust in my heart and that I have to guard against it at every front or I'll be a contributor to that thing that I hate. I, I honestly, I sincerely deep down hate racism, which has the added effect of making me less likely to see it within myself. And I, I hate polarization. I, th I think it's a scourge. But that also polarizes me against the people that I think are doing it. And I honestly and sincerely hate greed. But I know full well, and you know it of me and of yourself, if I don't root it out, the love of money will consume me as quick as it will anybody else. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7? He talked about how he consistently finds himself doing the things that he hates. What I'm saying is don't let your guard down against the things that you hate. They might actually be the most pressing, imminent threats. Now the disciples, like they were horrified at the thought of a betrayal. And yet, I mean, they never even conceived of such a thing. And yet they all stopped and said, could this possibly, possibly be me? Now let's think about Judas here. Um, man, after three years of walking with Jesus and seeing all the things, Judas decided to betray his savior with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. Um, I know this is the Matthew text. Some people don't always track it, but Judas actually tried to take it back. He tried to return the money um, and then cleared Jesus' name because it all kind of got out of hand, but he couldn't, it was too late. And then, and the weight of that, it was, it was more than he could bear and he took his own life. And, and listen, in taking his own life, he also took from Jesus the opportunity to fully restore him. Um, I should recognize this. Uh, Jesus was let down by lots of people. Uh, Peter denied him, and then Jesus restored him. And Thomas doubted, and then Thomas was restored. And then later, Paul, who murdered Christians, fully restored. And I'm telling you, I have no doubt whatsoever, whatsoever that if Judas had held on a little bit longer, Jesus would have rose from the dead, and he would have gone straight to Judas, and he would have ran to forgive and restore Judas. He would not have done it reluctantly, okay? He would, he would not have had to force himself to forgive because that's what a good savior is supposed to do. Jesus, he would, he would have run to Judas, and then this time the kiss would be from him. And that's what would have happened, and he would have been restored, and I think it's a shame because I think it might have been my favorite story. Now, with that in mind, 12 people asked Jesus, could it possibly be me? And for one of them, the answer was yes. Now back to this, this list we've been looking at. If, if we all honestly consider this list, then for a number of us, the answer will be yes. Like if we honestly look, we'll, 
we'll find some of this stuff. And maybe it's only seeds, or maybe it's more fully grown. But for many of us, it's there. And I'm, I'm just praying that we'll have the courage and the strength to see what's there and repent. And then, and then have the faith to accept that God fully restores. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, this is not at all where I thought I would be going with this sermon. Um, but I think it was the Lord. And I'll, I'll tell you now, I looked long and hard at that list and I, I found things that I needed to repent of. I found seeds that I didn't know were there and, and, a, and a need then to, to set up new and better guardrails because there's vulnerabilities. Because, though, I was willing to say, Lord, on any level, could this possibly be me? And I hope you'll have the courage to do the same. I love you. Amen.